So um, I have a uh, I have a trivia question involving this uh, next picture, just the first one. So if you could show it. Um, all right. So uh, the trivia question is: How does this picture relate to our passage today? Um, we've been in this conversation. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, um, where Jesus Jesus talks about the law of of God. He talks about the Old Testament law, and he says he says that. Um, it's harder than you think because people would come to Jesus and they would say, they would say, um, how far can I go? Where's the line? I don't want to cross the line. How far can I go without crossing the line? And Jesus would say, that's exactly the wrong perspective with the law. What you need to do is look at the reason the law was given. What is the purpose God has for the law? And th- then you don't have to worry about where the line is because you're, you're nowhere near it. So Jesus has been having this conversation. He's talked about murder. He's talked about adultery and lust. And today he's going to talk about oaths because this picture here is actually um, from the uh, inauguration of the president uh, back in 2009. So if you could go to the next picture, see that gives it away right there. So strategic cropping. So uh, there's here's here's the here's the trivia thing. There is in the United States Constitution there are the words for the um, for the oath of office. I guess I had kind of assumed that it was uh, it was uh, implemented with legislation that Congress had passed a law or something, but it's actually written right in the Constitution. What are the words that are said when the president assumes office? And it's been done uh, 73 times, and here they are. I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of president of the United States and will to the best of my ability. You remember this is where the uh, chief justice got it wrong. Um, he kind of bumbled the words here. And will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So they went back and said it a second time. But the interesting thing is I was preparing for this message. I saw, for the first time really, I think, I mean, I I assume in high school I saw this, but he says, I will swear or affirm. And that is what uh, what connects this, this oath to our passage of Scripture today. Back when the Constitution was written, the memories were very clear People in, in just in the past few decades, people had known of cases where qualified people had been denied office because they would not swear an oath. They were part of a dissenting tradition within the, the Christian church. And then, of course, uh, if they were Jews or people of other world religions, uh, Catholics, uh, they were not allowed to take oath, uh, uh, take uh, office at all in, in the British Empire. So uh, when the Constitution was written, the framers, with that m- fresh in their memories, they said, we do not have an established religion in this country. And so if your religion prevents you from swearing, then you may affirm your office um, instead. So, so, and that is because uh, those religious traditions, the, the people who, di- dissent, who dissented from, from the idea of taking oaths did so on the basis of our passage today, where Jesus says, uh, you, you shall not take oaths. So, um, uh, interestingly, um, the, an example would be um, Anabaptists like um, Mennonites or um, uh, uh, Amish would be an example of people who don't take oaths. Quakers uh, don't take oaths. Although, interestingly, even though uh, we've had two Quaker presidents, they've both actually sworn. Um, Herbert Hoover and Richard Nixon both swore the oath of office instead of affirming it. And, in fact, only one president has... Uh, affirmed the oath of office. He was Franklin Pierce, and uh, history has not been kind to him. I don't know if it's because he refused to swear or not, 
Um, but he was two presidents before Abraham Lincoln, and um, that's probably all any of us need to know about him. So um, Franklin Pierce affirmed the oath of office. And um, uh, if you are running for office and you're wondering, you know, what should I do? Um, so you're thinking you're going to get into uh, the White House and you're wondering what word should I use? If you're a Presbyterian, I can't speak for Methodists with authority, but for Presbyterians, I can say we're okay with oaths. Go right ahead and swear an oath uh, for um, for uh, your office of president. Um, although, interestingly, we do not ask people to swear an oath of office for uh, offices within the church. When someone be- becomes an elder in the church, is ordained as an elder, uh, we don't ask them to swear anything. We ask them a bunch of questions, which are yes/no questions. And they just do or they don't. So, so we kind of have it both ways. We say for maybe the really uh, serious matters, for for presidency, for uh, giving testimony in a courtroom, it's okay to swear an oath. But on the other hand, we don't do much of it in the local church. So we have it both ways. Now, the thing is, uh, you may say, well, that's all great, but I'm not going to run for president and. I'm not even going to give testimony, so what's the big deal here? Why do I have to worry about oaths? And in fact, really, aren't oaths kind of quaint to worry about oaths? I mean, we have a culture where people swear all the time. They swear in God's name, and they don't do it with any sense that they're getting in trouble with the guy upstairs. Oh, my God, can you believe how early the sun got up this morning? Uh, we say, we say, um, I swear if I hear that song on the radio one more time, I'm going to go postal. We make these light and trivial oaths all the time. So if you even think about oaths, you're, you're, first of all, you're coming across as a little bit quaint, a little bit antiquated. But more than that, you're doing so much better than most of the people in our culture. So why even talk about oaths? Well, I think if we only limit this to oaths, if we only limit what Jesus is saying here today, it is kind of quaint. And you really only have to worry about it when you're assuming high office. But I think what Jesus is getting at here is so much more than talking about oaths. Remember, he's been talking about the spirit behind the law. He's been talking about what is the purpose of the law. And in this passage, Jesus gives us a principle that if we put it into practice, it will change the way we relate to everybody, and it'll change the way people relate to us. So there's a very simple uh, principle here that Jesus gives about how we can relate to other people. Now, I need to set it up a little bit. So, um, in our culture today, people lie. I know this is news to you, but people lie. Sometimes we have good reasons, sometimes we have bad reasons. Um, let me give you an, you may say, well, what's a good reason for a lie? You can't, you can't have a good reason for lying. Lying is bad. Actually, maybe, maybe you can. In, in her book, The Hiding Place, uh, Corey Tinboom talks about her experience in occupied Holland when the Germans were going from house to house looking for Jews, uh, she and her family were hiding Jews in their house. And so when the Germans said, are there any Jews here? She very calmly lied and said, no, there aren't. And that would be an example of something that is a lie, but probably a good lie, that she lied in order to protect someone. And we could say, well, that's a that's not a bad lie. I mean, I guess, you know, there's worse things you could have done. Turning them over would have been worse. So So she said, you know, she said a lie, and we might say that's a good thing. Sometimes we lie because uh, we don't owe someone the truth. Uh, when when the, the rock star Freddie Mercury was dying of AIDS back in the early 90s, there's paparazzi outside of his house. They were peeking in the back window of his car to see if there was medicine in the grocery bags. And the members of his band just decided that the paparazzi had no right 
to know the answer. So someone would come up to them and say, how's Freddie doing? And they'd say, he's doing great. I saw him in the gym yesterday. He looked fabulous. They just said, you have no right to the truth. So we might say, well, that's maybe not as good as hiding Jews. But yeah, we can understand. That's a lie, but it's not a terrible lie. The theologian Augustine actually came up with eight classes of lies. ranging. He said they're all wrong, but they are... Uh, more, he ranked them from more to less forgivable. So, so, um, there are those lies where you say, well, that's probably better than not lying given the circumstances. It's still wrong, but we live in a fallen world and there are times when you have to lie. But that's not where we live, is it? Right? We live at the other end of that spectrum of eight, eight classes of lies. Whether we're the ones lying or whether the people are lying to us, people lie all the time. And so what we do is we say, get it in writing. Right? That's what we, that's what we do in our culture. We say, I want it in writing because I'm going to assume that you're going to lie. I mean, maybe you're an honest person, but you understand why I have to get your, your John Henry on the dotted line here because everybody lies. You just assume people lie. So in our culture, we have, we have contracts and we, we want them to be clear. We want them to, to spell out what people do, except if they're too clear, no one will sign them. So we put we put uh, legalese in them. We put lots of verbiage in them because we want some wiggle room, right? I'd be terrified to, to buy a house if I didn't have some wiggle room in there. I'd be terrified to buy a car. You know, there's just too many things. I don't know if I'm going to be employed in a year. Um, I don't know if I'm, you know, I, I have no idea what the future will bring, so I want wiggle room. So in my contracts, I specify I need some I need some weasel words. I need some asterisks and some disclaimers. You know, we we see this on TV, right? It says actual miles may vary. Um, it says it says uh, past performance is no guarantee of future results. It says this is part of a balanced breakfast. It's part of a balanced breakfast. Don't don't kid yourself. It's still Lucky Charms, people. So. <laughs> But yes, on this table, there are balanced breakfast items. So, so we say these things. We put these, we put these disclaimers and things. Uh, a friend of mine is a intellectual property attorney, and he says that, um, his job basically boils down to vaguing things up. His job as a, as a lawyer is to put weasel words in contracts because if they were too clear, no one would ever sign them. Um, there's a, there's a saying, it's not just in the law. It's an international relations. There's a joke that goes about uh, diplomats. It says, if a diplomat says yes, he means maybe. And if he says maybe, he means no. And if he says no, he's no diplomat. So we have this idea that we need some wiggle words. We need some weasel words. We need some wiggle room. We need the ability to kind of say, well, I did my best, but no, I didn't succeed. So so we, we insist on having these wiggle words in our contracts. And... In that way, we are exactly like people in the Bible, except for one thing. They were basically not literate. So instead of asking for contracts, they asked for oaths. Um, they were a, a religious society. We would say today, by our standards, they're a very superstitious society. They, they attributed divine purpose to all kinds of things that we would not today. So they said, I want an oath. That was the next best thing to a contract. And they faced exactly the same problems we did. Um, people would say, I want an oath because I don't trust you, or I can't trust you in general. I trust you personally, but I want an oath nevertheless. Um, and and uh, people would say, "Well, I'd like to. I'd like to give you an oath. Honestly, my 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 favorite thing right now would be to give you an oath, but 
that would drag God into a very minor matter. You know, yes, I'm going to meet with you on Tuesday. We're going to have lunch, I promise. But if I bring God into it, then I am taking the name of the Lord in vain. I'm taking the name of the Lord in a very small, minor, empty issue that we don't want to drag God into this. It's not a big deal, right? Save God for the big things. So, so I want, I want to give you an oath, but I can't bring God's name into it. So what people did is they would swear on things that are kind of like God, that they, they would swear on things that were close to God. So they'd swear in the temple. They would swear in the temple, or maybe they'd swear on heaven. And that way, they're not actually dragging God into it. And by the way, they're also getting wiggle room. And in fact, by the time of the, the first century, we can read in chapter 23, Jesus gives an example of the kind of, the kind of fuzzy, fuzzy thinking that people would put into their oaths. Um, have you got the, the verse from um, Matthew 23? Uh, go, go ahead a couple. There, Matthew 23. So Jesus says this. There are, in, in the, the legal environment of that day, he says, there are blind guides who say, whoever swears by the sanctuary is bound by nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the sanctuary, the golden decorations in the sanctuary, is bound by the oath. He goes on, he says, if you swear by the altar, um, then that's nothing. But if you swear by the gift that is on the altar, then that's a binding oath. So people had weasel words in those days too, and they just put them in their oaths. And that's the context. So a lot of unpacking there. But Jesus comes into that situation, and what he says is, don't do that. He says, as, as we've been hearing over the last couple of weeks, he says, you have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you made to the Lord. And Jesus is actually kind of mushing up two different verses of Scripture uh, because there's all this teaching about oaths um, because, because money's on the line. So there's all kinds of teaching in the Bible about keeping oaths. And Jesus combines two of them. One's from Leviticus, you shall not swear falsely. And then the next one is from Numbers. He says, when a man makes a vow, he shall do all that proceeds out of his mouth. So Jesus says, you've heard that. This is not news to you. But Jesus says, I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, which is, again, the weasel word. If I swear by heaven, I'm excused. Jesus says, no, no, no. Uh, don't swear by heaven, for it's the throne of God. Or by the earth? Is that a weasel word? Jesus says, no, because that's God's footstool. Jesus says, essentially, there is no way you can you can come up with an oath that sounds religious and is somewhere near God, that God will overlook. Jesus says that God is concerned about his reputation. And so when you, when you come close to it, he will just assume you said it. So he says, don't even do that. Uh, these things are uh, uh, close enough to God that God will get involved. He says, don't swear by Jerusalem. It's the city of the great king, King David, whom God put on the throne. Do not swear by your head because you're not God. Uh, what good is, a, is an oath that you can't do anything about? So Jesus says this. He says, let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Let your word be yes or no. Anything more than this, he says, comes from the evil one. He says, skip the, skip the wiggle room. He says, just say yes. I'm going to do it. I'm coming to your school play, honey. Or you say, I'm going to go to the soccer game this Saturday. And then do it. Or don't. If you can't do something, if somebody asks you to do something, just say, no, I can't do that. I will not be able to do that, so no, I'm not going to do it. Jesus says, just skip it. Just skip all that verbiage. Don't, don't put the wiggle room in. Don't plan for failure. Don't assume that situations are going to come up that are going to cause you to fail. Jesus says, 
there's two approaches. One of them is to change the target. He says, he says, don't do that. Keep the target what it should be. Aim high. And then if you fail, you fail. But don't put so much fog around the target that nobody knows if you've succeeded or failed. He says, just say yes, I'll do it. No, I won't. Don't change the target. And that's really what we've seen all through here. Jesus knows we're going to try these things and we're going to fail. He says, he says, it's not about committing murder. It's about being reconciled with people who are difficult. He says, if you try that, you're going to fail. It's not always going to work out. You will fail. He says, he says, you, you, uh, it's not a question of whether you actually commit adultery. It's a question of whether you have a perfect marriage and you probably won't. But he says, don't change the target. Just because you don't think you can achieve it, don't change the target. Instead, Jesus says, keep the target what it should be. Aim for the target. Don't fuzz it up. Don't put so much verbiage around it that you think you can somehow be successful because no one will know if you're successful. Instead, keep the target what it should be, and then maybe you'll be successful. And if you're not, what happens? Ask for forgiveness. I really tried to come to the play, but something came up at work. I really tried to go to the soccer game. I said I would have the project done on Saturday. I just got this experience myself. Right before my vacation, I phoned the person in the Methodist office. We have these annual forms we have to complete, tell us about our numbers and our budgets and all that stuff. I do these forms, and it's the 10th of March, and I called up and said, hey, these things are due today, and I'm not going to get to it. And rather than be away for the next week and you wonder how come he's not returning my calls, I just thought I'd tell you, I did not achieve it. And that's actually good for us. Jesus Jesus tells us that forgiveness is good for our soul. It's good to go to people and say, I didn't achieve it. I tried, but I didn't. So forgive me. And he tells us that as we as we ask for forgiveness, we learn to give forgiveness. We get ourselves into a situation where we say, I've been there, I've done that, I've failed. The, the most grace I've ever received in a working environment was from a boss who knew what it was to fail. So when I went to him and said, I didn't get the project done on time, he said, he said, good judgment is the result, he said, he said, good judgment is the result of experience and experience is the result of bad judgment. And he said it with authority because <laughs> he'd been there and he'd done that. He gave me forgiveness because he'd asked for it in the past himself. Jesus says, don't change the target. No, you won't always succeed. But if you fuzz it up, if you put so much smoke screen around it, no one will ever know were you successful or not. This is what the church is supposed to be about. The church is supposed to be a provisional model of the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be the closest thing on earth to what we will experience when God's kingdom comes in its fullness. And so this is a place where the church should lead in this area. We should we should set goals. We should have standards. We should say, this is what we're trying to do. We believe God is calling us to achieve these things. And no, we belly flopped on that one. And that's too bad. And we will do better next time. But the solution is not to define things down and, and fuzz them up so no one knows if we're succeeding or not. The church can ask for forgiveness too. Let's model high standards. Let's model forgiveness in our lives and as our life together. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we give thanks for Jesus and the way he takes on these things where where they're not what we want to do. We want to fuzz things up. We want to make sure that we can't be blamed. And Jesus says, but then you can't have success either. We thank you that Jesus teaches us not to fuzz things up. We pray, Lord, you'd give us courage to try difficult things, knowing that we can't predict the future, but simply to say, yes, we will, or no, we won't. And then, Lord, we pray you'd give us grace when we have offended you, that you would give us forgiveness and you'd show us how we can forgive others. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.